together with you to celebrate the riches of God. God's blessings on us for 139 years. And, and I count it an honor, a privilege to return. And thank you for the invitation. And thank Michelle and Larry and, and our dear brother Ken and Tammy. And get a chance to sing with my dad. You don't know how blessed I am to stand here today and to stand here with my dad and with you and praise God together. Uh, from my mother, mother would love to be here, <clears throat> just, just isn't physically able. Uh, she sends her greetings and her love to each and every one of you. As long as they've been in Lexington, over eight years, uh, this is still their home. And uh, man, you're the best. I don't care what Mike says. children are blessed. Uh, Nathan and our super daughter-in-law Renee are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with uh, three prettiest grandkids in the world. Uh, Colton Rick is 11. Weston Nick is 9. Uh, Collins Claire is just turned 6 this week and she is the queen. You just ask. She'll tell you. Um, Jeremy is about 45 minutes from us. About 15 minutes from church. Uh, in Fort Thomas, and uh, satisfied and content. Uh, uh, Rachel is in Lexington, Thad, super son-in-law. Uh, I had no idea how good he'd be to us, but uh, I didn't get a chance to vote, but I'm glad that Rachel voted, and we are so blessed to have him as a part of our family. But I stand here today and realize everything that's good, right, or perfect, God has done and none of us. We don't have that ability. So it's my job, my challenge, my charge to encourage and appreciate you for allowing God to flow through you to this community that you love and serve. In fact, it, it, re it reflects on your healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes all the difference. Otherwise, we'd all be pagans. We, we'd be so saturated with ourselves. But I hope hope that you look around here and as Brother Chuck so richly and rightly said, you have a responsibility to leave this place better than you found it. You have a responsibility to reach out with the love of Christ and the gospel that is unchanging to this community that is in a dark place. Ours is too. I am so over COVID. I, I, I've had it twice um, and I'm just stupid blessed with health and yet there have been others around us and I look around here and I weep with you for those you've lost I grieve with you for those you've lost but every single one that I know that you've lost that I know personally I know where they are I know we will catch up I know that our Redeemer lives and you can rest on this fact that he is the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end, Him who was and is and is to come. And because He said, I live, ye shall live also. So let me just start out this morning before I get into the message and say, I love you and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Would you, would you turn to two or three people and say that to them? I love you and there's nothing you can do without it. Nothing you can do about it. Absolutely. 
I can't tell you how much that blesses my heart. To be able to stand here and know that this church is healthy and that, and that even though you accept the responsibility of evangelizing and discipling this community, we recognize we're a mere generation away from losing it all. You see, it all could grind to a halt. In fact, I cannot tell you how many churches in northern Kentucky closed down during the pandemic and will never open again. You're still standing, and I praise God for you. And I thank God for what He's doing in your midst. And your faithfulness ought to be celebrated. And what better day than homecoming to do just that? Might I say also thank you for being gracious, forgiving people for me. You played so much in my spiritual formation, and I stand here today a better person because you invested in me and my wife and our kids. Your patience is beyond compare, <laughs> and you're a great forgiving people, and I, I appreciate that. I cannot tell you how much I love Brother Chuck, Sister Emma, Thank you, Chuck, for this privilege of returning uh, to Louisa to do a small part of today's service. Let me ask you to go ahead and take your copy of God's Word, turn over to the book of F Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, the last two verses, uh, are, are kind of a doxology. Paul, Paul breaks into song with those last two verses, but, but then we need to read the first five verses of chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It's important that we know that chapters and verses were added long after this was written so we could be on the same page, on the same line, on the same word together. And yet we sometimes have a tendency to stop our thoughts or stop our spiritual development uh, at the end of a chapter, and it was never intended to be that way. It, it actually, it was intended to be one continuous story, one continuous letter from the inspired author of the book, and the Apostle Paul is just that. He had every reason in the world to be down in the dumps. If he, if he would have whined and sniveled and bellyached and complained, everybody would have understood. But the problem was, if he did that, it would be a burden on the church. Here he is, seated in a Roman cell, awaiting his own personal execution, where his head is going to be lifted from his body. He has every reason to be down in the dumps and sing, gloom, despair, and agony on me, oh, but he doesn't do that. You see, he realizes he's right where God wants him. He is in the middle of this spot. He is in the middle of this predicament. He is in this place because the hand of God was on him. And he would never have had all of this time to write all of these letters to all of these churches had he not been in prison. But picture, if you will, he is there in change, possibly in isolation. He is looking back over the history of his life with the churches and all the different mission trips, and he is writing this letter, I believe, to his favorite church at Ephesus. He writes this letter in such a way to where they won't be discouraged because of his predicament. You see, he realizes his predicament is God-planned. And sometimes that's hard to imagine, especially when you're suffering especially when you're struggling, especially when everything is broken and the chaos seems to just wash over you. But here is Paul in great calmness, and he feels the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and he breaks out in the doxology. Then he writes to them with a unique idea of how to walk. 
that we're to walk in a uniquely different way as believers. We need to do things that are so radically different that the world would point to us and say, those folks are religious nuts. They are, they are just holy rollers. And beloved, I, if I weren't a Baptist to the core, I'd have a Pentecostal running fit right now. I, I, I want them to look at us and say there's something different, something weird, something wonderful, something added about those people that we don't have. If you can imagine, every minute, every second, every day, every month, since 1937, July the 2nd, there have been a guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington, Virginia. They have never missed a day. They have never missed a moment. The pandemic did not change them. The storms came and they stood. The rain fell and they stood. And yet every one of those soldiers are absolutely icons of what it means to honor and to give honor. My dear friend, growing up, one of our members, I baptized William Cook here years ago, did this very duty. He stood there at the tomb of the unknown soldier. I've heard him describe the amazing things that happened there. It took them months to prepare for their duty. As they prepared, they got a fresh haircut every day that they served on duty at the tomb of the unknown. They learned to walk a different way. It was heel to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe. 21 steps across that stage. 21 steps in front of the tomb of the unknown. They would turn and pivot and click their heels. They would face the tomb for 21 seconds. It is the greatest military honor given to anyone. It reminds us of the 21-gun salute. Every step is metered. Every step is marched. Every day it's the same thing, to give honor to whom honor is due. It is not a normal type of walk. Paul is challenging us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we cannot walk the way of the world. We cannot, we should not, we ought not walk the way of the world. And if we do, we have lost our testimony. We need to take this stand in such a way that we might live for Christ in such a radical, on-fire way that the world would notice our Jesus. We should, who carry the name of Christ, Walk in a unique way, over and over, until our shift is complete. <laughs> it does my heart good to see so many young, new faces in this church, Pastor Chuck. It is so encouraging to me. But I also stand here today, and I see those faithful giants who, who were here when I got here as a nine-year-old boy. I think of those who followed on their heels, your dads, your moms, your granddads, your grandmoms, who faithfully held up the cause of Christ. They walked different. The world didn't understand them. The world didn't deserve them. And yet they stood for Christ in every possible way. Now that many of them are gone, who will step up? Who will fill in those shoes of these giants on whose shoulders we stand. Beloved, it sounds like an impossible job until I lean back on the history, the shared history that we have, and I recognize that they serve the same God we serve. They walked in the power of the same Spirit we walk in. And God, who is unchanging, is unfazed by the weirdness of this world. 
He knew what was coming up. He is preparing you, purging you, making you better, more like Christ in every way. I would challenge you with my very fiber of my being that no matter the hour, no matter the day, like the soldier at the tomb of the unknown, whether anybody's watching or not, that you walk worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the duty that we're called to do is sometimes unpleasant. Can I be honest? I mean totally honest. Churches are messy. Amen? Every deacon in this place ought to say amen. (laughs) Churches are messy because it's a part of people's lives comes with all of this difficulty in the mud and the blood and the guts of life, physical and emotional and spiritual strain that we're under, but it doesn't matter. We need to walk. Years ago, Dad's dad, Papa Frazier, would take me hunting. He'd say, Ricky, you step where I step and you'll be all right. Don't make a sound. If you need anything, just pat me. That's how close he wanted me to him. One day we were walking up, and it was squirrel season. And Papa Frazier, honest, he was Indian. He was, he was a ghost Indian. He could slip in the woods and out of the woods, never leave a trail. I would follow him, and finally one day, on his heels, he leaned around and said, Look here, look here. He took the barrel of his shotgun, reached across a fallen log, and tapped a deer on the shoulder. It scared that deer. I think it wet all over the woods. It jumped out of its skin. And and that wasn't what we were there for, but he was teaching me to walk his walk. And a greater than Grandpa Frazier is here. We are to walk with Christ. Four things. Let's look at this scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Even though this is a 2,000-year-old relevant message, our walk matters now more than ever. Look at the last two verses of chapter 3. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Repeat that with me. To all generations. That was pretty good for a sick chicken. One more time. Say it with me out loud so I can hear it. To all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. You see, what Paul is talking about here is the power of God that we have to have, not only from the pulpit to the nursery and everywhere in between. We, as generations, have walked in the power of God. You, for 139 years. Why? Because the Bible is always and will forever be reliable. It is not only readable, it is understandable through the power and person of the Holy Spirit, and it is the only word worth reading over and over. It is irrelevant more relevant than any newspaper today. So here is Paul seated in this prison. He breaks into a doxology and he points out that God is all-powerful. He prays this huge prayer that God would root us, found us, ground us in His love, grow us into the Christ likeness. In fact, he says in another book in Romans 3.29, 8.29, he says that we're to be conformed to the likeness of Christ 
fully formed. It's almost like Jesus is a cookie press. And we're to be pressed into his mold. And when we do that, things change. When we receive that likeness of Christ. Now, I'll be honest. It's like a little boy that came to me years ago and he said, Preacher, i got a question for you. I said, Come ahead. He said, You keep talking about Jesus being in my heart. Jesus being on the inside. Jesus being in my heart. He said, I'm just five years old. If Jesus were in my heart, wouldn't he poke out? That's wonderful theology for a little kid to get it. That's the whole idea, that when we're pressed into the likeness of Christ, we become different creatures. And the more we're like Christ, the more we love one another, the more we linger in the power, the more we walk in the Spirit. And this is Paul's prayer. So I ask this question, is Paul praying too big of a prayer? Don't underestimate who God is. In fact, when we look at it, he is... Paul says, infinitely able to do more than we could ask or think. He's infinitely bigger than anything that we could imagine. Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, but he also prays for First Baptist Church here in Louisa that God would grant us the transformative power of the person of the Holy Spirit and that He would give us abilities in grace to know Christ and surpass knowledge so that we, He would full, fully dwell in our hearts. You see, until that time, we have a work to do. I'll be honest, if you ever try to fix somebody in your family, bless your heart. That's not my job. It's not my job to fix Uncle Martin, even though he's getting overhauled a piece at a time. It's my job to love Uncle Martin and Aunt Pam. It's my job to love those that are around me. But God, on the other hand, has the ability more than we could ask or think to change the people around us. So what we have to do is to give God time to work on us. You see, when we look at this, this will never happen accidentally. You have to lean in. You have to intentionally lean in to who God is. Ask Him to change your life. And then you're formed into the full image of God, the imago dei, the image of God completely. Here just recently this fall, we had a terrible hurricane in southwest Florida. Places that we used to go to with great regularity have been wiped off the face of the map. If you've watched the videos of those tide surge and the winds that washed away entire causeways, the intercoastal system is absolutely unrecognizable because of the power of Hurricane Ian. But I say this, God is more powerful than the strongest hurricane. He is more electrifying than the greatest flash of lightning. He is more overwhelming than any of these things. He is infinitely able to do exceedingly abundantly. But we ask this, is He able or is He more able to overcome your problems? Maybe, just maybe, our greatest sin is underestimating the power of God. Secondly, chapter 4, verses 1 and halfway through verse 2 the way we walk is not the way we're saved. Don't get that confused. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness. I'll be honest, I have a problem with that. I'm a big-headed Frazier. I'm strong-willed. Uh, I have a tender heart. I'll weep at the drop of a hat and drop my own hat. But beloved... I have a hard time not being like a bull in a china shop. Uh, Brother Chuck, you are so much more kind than I am. 
Bless your heart. I'll, I'll say this. I mean, my kids feared me. That's, I, I, mean, I, was, I was the ogre that lived under the bridge, the troll that you didn't want to disturb. But I can remember when their mother started to stand up to them. Ever since then, I've pretty much been the sugar daddy, and she's the one they fear. It's not the size of the fight in the dog. Uh, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight. You're with me, aren't you, Darlene? Absolutely. I, I, let me be real honest. I'm, I'm still afraid of my mom. Can I get an amen? It's just a part of it. Paul says, though, don't get it confused. The way you're saved and the way you live for Christ are not the same thing. You are saved according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are saved and your salvation is an utter and a free gift. You cannot visit enough hospital rooms. You cannot bake enough pies for the church social. You cannot pray enough. You can't read enough scripture. You can't invite enough people to church that will blaze your trail to get to heaven. If you get to heaven, you're going to get to heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing less than that. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. So don't confuse the idea of salvation with your walk with God. Your walk with God, salvation is God's gift to you. Your walk for Him is your gift back to Him in appreciation. That's what we're to do. In fact, when we look at this, it is virtually impossible to get to heaven by any other means than the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. The thing about it is, the more you follow Him, the more you become like Him. Thirdly, the way we walk is seen in our care for others. Look at chapter 4, the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. It says, With long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I look at that, and I want you to consider this as a 2,000-year-old list of things that if the church does today, all of us will be more blessed. If we'll follow this list, it's still amazing, it's still true, it still echoes through the years in our generation. Humility, gentleness, patience. What's the difference between patience and bearing with one another? Um, patience is, is standing there biting your lips saying, if you make one more move. Bearing with one another in love says, I know you're weird. I'm tolerating you, you're unpleasant in my life, you're difficult, you inconvenience me, you're expensive to me, but I see something in you that can bless this whole area. And you love them anyway. You love people, you work hard, you keep the unity among the believers, and all of this, if we follow along with these guidelines, are pretty simple. It's our effort to live a Christ-honoring life, and it immediately affects the people around us. It's like foot washing. Could you imagine Jesus girding a towel, getting down, washing the dirty, stinking feet of his followers? You remember, it, it caused Peter to revolt. He, he pulled his feet back under the table. No way, Lord. No way you're going to wash my feet. 
And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let this happen, you have no part of me. I love what Peter said. He, he was often in, open mouth, insert foot, open mouth, wider, insert other foot. Can you relate? That time he knocked it out of the park. He said, Lord, in that case, wash everything I've got. <laughs> Jesus said, you only need the dirty part washed. What a wonderful Savior that bows down and serves and helps other people. And I, when we came in this morning, they were already in the kitchen. When we came in last night, they were unlocking doors and making copies and picking up trash and, and building everything for today. Some of you stayed at home last evening to bake a cake or six peanut butter pies. You know my flavor. That's what church is. What does it mean to bear with one another? It means everybody goes first in line but you. It means everybody gets a greater blessing. Everybody that you live with, work with, study with, play with, hang out with, they get more than you do because you see that they are served. You see that they have prestige. You see that they're honored. You see that they have joy. It is a lifestyle of servant leadership that Jesus himself exemplified. Why? Because we make sure that we're walking and following Jesus. What would happen in your marriage if you woke up in the morning and you served your spouse and they said something snide and you said, love you, appreciate you? What would happen with your family if there was no jealousy, no envy, no stress, no strife? What a fun place to be and that's what the church ought to be. We're to grow and serve. The only way that ever happens is if we choose to be like Jesus and walk a different walk. Finally, verses 4 and 5 tell us that the way we walk is up to us. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul was from southern Tarshish. He used you all a lot. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying you get to choose every day whether you're going to follow Jesus or not. And if you follow Jesus, guess what? You carry other people around you with you. But you have to walk the walk. And this is a challenge that only God knows how it'll turn out. I, I look at this story and I realize how it began. You remember, Paul was not always Paul, was he? He started out as Saul. You remember there, the first martyr of the Christian church was a disciple by the name of Stephen. Saul said, guys, okay, let's stone this man to death. He's a heretic. He's a follower of the way. Let me hold your coat so you don't get him bloody. That's who he was. He stood there. And the stones fell upon him and the heavens opened to Stephen and he looked up into the heavens and he said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I see Jesus yonder in the promised land. Work is over. Now I'm coming to thee. I see Jesus standing, waiting for me and Saul 
had to have been affected by that awesome walk of Stephen down the gallows of death. Saul saw that, and I doubt Stephen was the only one that he helped kill. And somehow along the way, he was confronted by the resurrected Christ. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes it personally uh, that, that the world persecutes his bride. And he, on his face, blinded by the light of who God is, he said, Lord, what will you have me do? He sent him down to a tanner's house, and he was saved. Had no idea. You're sitting here today with some people absent. Like Stephen with the stones falling on him, and we say, Lord, that's not fair. They were way too young. They were way too healthy. They were way too good. They're so much better than the rest of us. And yet their seat at your table is absent. And yet because they walk the walk, there are others who are saying, I have to step up. And maybe they're transformed from Saul to Paul. Like the little lady at our church that prayed this prayer, young wife. Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man. I pray for love to forgive him. I pray for patience to deal with his mood. But, oh Lord, I do not pray for strength, for if you give me strength, I will beat him to death. Amen. Yeah, I see some of you all have prayed that prayer. up to us it's not up to brother Chuck even though God has gifted him beyond compare it's not up to brother Tim or to stand here hear him pray blesses me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet it's up to us us together you cannot hire Faithfulness. You have to be faithfulness. See, the circumstances we're in are inconsequential. If we choose to walk this unique walk with God, therein is the choice. What a great thing it is when a person makes a choice to walk with Jesus Christ. If you've never received that gift of salvation, what a great day. Pray this simple prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is God and your Son and my only hope for salvation. Come into my heart. Give me a new life. Give me a new walk. Grow me into your full likeness. I, I, be I believe there's somebody here today that's being called to missions. I believe there's somebody here today called to help with the children's ministry. I believe there's somebody here today that God is speaking to your heart, saying, love me more and step up and walk the walk. And God will do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or think. Think about that prayer of a hundred-year-old childless Abraham praying for an Isaac. And did God give him an Isaac? Yeah, and people of the sands of the sea. 
exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think. Think of that prodigal son who rehearsed his speech to his dad after wasting every bit of his inheritance. He trudges his way home, and while he's still a long way off, his dad sees him and recognizes he stinks. His father runs and meets the prodigal and falls on his neck, and the son begins the speech that he's practiced thousands of times. Father, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. And the father exclaims, kill the fatted calf. Bring a robe and put on his back and a ring and put on his finger. My son that was dead is alive again. Exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask or think. Think of those four friends that came to the house and the house was so surrounded nobody could get in and they had to be creative. They went to their neighbor's house, tore up the roof tiles, tore up the roof, lowered their friend through the hole in the roof where Jesus was, justing, just hoping and praying that God would be a capital G God when they get down there. Jesus sees the, the faith of those friends and he heals the paralytic on the spot exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. Think of that repentant thief on the cross next to Jesus. He said, we're here because justice is done, but this man has done no wrong. He leans over with one of his last breaths, looks at Jesus in the face through the blood and the shame and the spit and the buffeting and the bruising, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a simple prayer. What a small prayer. And Jesus says in response, because he is God, today you will be with me in paradise. Exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. May we here today know this is a solitary fact. The whole point is that kind of a God deserves our all. Be like Christ. Put people first. When you do that and walk with God, you won't have to wear a badge. You won't have to wave a flag. They will know there is something about you that is Christ in a living state. I challenge you today. If you need Christ, I would not wait one more minute.